Hello, everyone, and welcome to a somber episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast, where we just witnessed Nick Chubb pretty much tear up his ankle or knee or something. We are not doctors here, but that was a little disappointing. But still, we have a lot of good games to talk about as well from week two. And I'm joined by my friend, Jacob Sanderson. How's it going, man? Man, uh, yeah, it was going good. That um, that obviously sucks just massively. Like, I think, um, you know, like Chubb has always been a guy of a lot of debate in the fantasy community because it's always been like, he's always a mid RB one, but he does, he have the receiving upside and we've always kind of gone back and forth in this fantasy lens, but like the whole like mythos around him of being the best pure runner in the league is like so legitimately true. Um, he is like probably my two favorite running backs to watch of all time are, are Nick Chubb and Jamal Charles. Um, yep. and you know, hard, hard, honestly, not to see the parallels. Um, Jamal Charles is, ACL was also on a run inside the 10 in like a really similar situation. Uh, it was the first thing I thought of when I saw the, the Chubb injury. And, um, you know, we'll see. I have no idea if that, that might be a career for him. Um, if it is, I, I hope that he, uh, I, I, frankly, I, to me, it's a Hall of Fame level career. I don't know if he'll ever be inducted in that way, but he is, in my opinion, the best running back of this, like really like the post-Adrian Peterson era of the NFL. And I hope that he is rewarded as such. Um, yeah. AP yeah, is who I was going to bring team. up and clearly you're a yards per carry guy. Cause Nick Chubb and uh, Jamal Charles are two of the top three in yards per carry with uh, Bo Jackson right up there as well. It, it really sucks. I mean, this is just happening pretty much live. It happened about three minutes ago. Um, but it's one of those injuries. Uh, Jacob is a Celtics fan as well. We, I, I initially thought of the Gordon Hayward injury. It's one of those where you see it happened and there aren't really any questions on, you know, is he coming back this season? It's really about, is he going to have a career after this? And that just really sucks. Let's, uh, let's have a quick dynasty takeaway as far as Jerome Ford goes. Is he the guy to own in the Cleveland backfield? Are you picking up Pierre strong? Do you think the Browns pick up anyone else? I mean, I think they're all a guy to own, right? Um, so at this point in time, it's wide open. So I think, to me, Jerome Ford is is going to get the first crack at it. They clearly value him. Like, just the way that they went about this whole season, frankly, you know, they draft him. They don't even play him in year one. So, you know, probably that says something, frankly. But... After that, they let Hunt walk. They let Dearness Johnson walk. And there was never any rumors of them being in on Fournette, of them attempting to bring Hunt back, you know, really anybody else. The only addition that they make the whole offseason is Pierre Strong. And that's even after Jerome Ford missed most of training camp with a hamstring injury. Um, And Pierre Strong was like, literally the Patriots, from the sounds of it, basically called the whole league and was like, hey, uh, we're going to cut this guy, but if you want to get ahead of waivers and take him off our hands, we'll take literally anything. And the Browns were like, great, we have a guy that we want to cut. Would you rather have him? Um, and that's basically that trade. So I don't really read into the Pierre Strong thing as any sort of indictment. And sure enough, Jerome Ford comes out and plays 30 snaps week one. So there should be really no doubt as to who's the preferred back right now between the two. But yeah, you, you definitely want to roster both. Pierre Strong is now at the very least the immediate handcuff pending further additions. Uh, and 
he's probably going to play enough to where, yeah, he plays way better than Jerome Ford. Sure, he could get in the mix. Um, other additions, I mean, the two most notable free agents are Fournette and Hunt. Uh, I think one of those is quite unlikely, yeah. just in the sense that seems like if the Browns had any intention of Kareem Hunt being on their team, he'd probably be on their team now. So I think that they clearly think he is uh, washed. Uh, and then we'll see on Fournette. Uh, but I mean, I mean, if they own yeah. TVs, they probably think he's washed as well. Uh, They're you, a very analytically forward organization. Like Andrew Barrett, like I, I don't think this is a Fournette team. Like to me, this is like maybe they take a shot at, I don't know, somebody, but maybe they maybe they call the Rams about Cam Akers. I mean, I, I don't That's... think Cam Akers is particularly great. But I think he has way higher talent upside than like Leonard Fournette. Like at least he has some juice. Um, and I mean, at this point, what's it going to take to get Cam Akers? Uh, like six round pick? Like I feel like you send the Rams a six. There, Cam Akers is boarding a flight to Cleveland, and that seems like a pretty reasonable idea to me. Yeah, that's a good idea to me, and and I hope it happens because I still do have, I think, two or three Cam Akers shares uh, burning a hole in my pocket. By the way, Chris Olave just made an insane one-handed deep touchdown. Oh, awesome. or deep yeah. catch. Yeah, oh, not, sorry, not touchdown. touchdown. I misspelled. Oh, I apologize. Wow. But it was like a 40-yard, really sick one-handed catch. Okay, um, well, we'll take that. I, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of Olave going tonight, yeah. and I'm fading Elijah Moore. So as we record this podcast, oh, I'm now seeing the replay. As we record this podcast, anything good from Elijah Moore is incredibly good for uh, the Jacob Industrial Complex. Uh, Elijah Moore is, is bad in this case. So uh, it's been been good on the Elijah Moore front. It was really bad on the Olave front. Maybe it's turning around. Yeah, hopefully. They they need to jumpstart the offense. All right, let's, uh, let's jumpstart this podcast, lift the energy a little bit, try to move on from the Chubb injury and talk a little bit yeah. about what happened over the weekend. Uh, before I get into that, Got three quick questions for you. I'm answering all my guests on the pod. Number one, who's a guy you love this preseason who you feel better about after these first two weeks? Ooh. Um, yeah, I would say probably Nico Collins has got to be yeah. the first one, right? I mean, that's a guy where honestly more of a seasonal and best ball take for me than a dynasty take. But uh, that's a guy that I was really, really – hammering all off season was open-minded to acquiring a dynasty on the cheap. And he was, I think my second most drafted player in best ball in seasonal leagues. Um, certainly across the two, my most invested in. So uh, yeah, seeing him come out and crush has been awesome. It's a little weird that he's not running the most routes on the team. Yeah. Um, my hope is that that would change just based on how well he's played, but he's really like, they, they've been passing it at a really high clip. That's because they're falling behind, but they've been dictated in the past. And, and at the very least, they're clearly willing to throw the ball and lean into that. And CJ Stroud, I think, has been battling and looking reasonable. Collins is really the only one providing that deep intermediate element. He's winning on those in-breaking crossing routes. We're starting to see sort of the elements of that Shanahan-McDaniel offense come into the mix here uh, with Bobby Slowick. Yeah, it's really good to see. I, I think that that's here to stay. I, I'm not sure that we're going to get 30 points again every week. They just played the worst secondary in the NFL. But do I think that he can continue to be a guy that racks up 20 to 25% of the targets and 35 to 40% of the air yards? I, I really, really do. Yeah, I agree with that. And then we'll get into Chris Olave a little bit, or sorry, to Nico Collins a little bit later. Uh, I got some more stats on him, but 
Obviously, as you know, I've been very high on him as well, and I'm very excited to see uh, this production. How about the guy you feel worst about that you were high on uh, going into the year? Yeah, this one probably probably Geno Smith, although he was better this past week, but it was still an up-and-down experience. He was brutal in week one against the Rams defense that I think is quite bad. Even though the Rams offense has surpassed our expectations, the Rams yeah. defense, uh, you know, the, I think 49ers will run down the field on a lot of people this year, but they certainly face no resistance uh, with the Rams. Um, Gino looked brutal against them. They come out in Detroit. They were certainly better. They moved the ball a lot better, but there was still some weirdness with that game where there was a lot of turnovers from uh, towards the end of that. And then Geno Smith himself um, made some arson plays. So yeah. I got to watch that game back. I didn't see that as closely, but that's one where, you know, you're always on high alert when these guys that, um, that come off kind of a one year aberration and then you're buying in and you start seeing some signs of concern. So I would say I'm mildly concerned with him. I'm looking forward to kind of watching that game a little more closely and trying to figure out if, if that stat line from last week is going to carry forward or if we're going to have any more games like the first week. Yeah. And uh, I, I, let me know what you think after you watch it. Cause I rewatched that this morning and it was not as good as the stat. I mean, the stats were great. He was 32 for 41 for 328 yards, no interceptions, eight yards per attempt. Uh, he didn't look as good as those stats did. So I'm interested to hear if you agree uh, after you watch that game back. Uh, last question before we get into the meat of the show. What's the favorite trade that you've made in the last week or so? Ooh, in the last week or so. Um, honestly, it's been a uh, it's been a pretty low event trade week. So I'll uh, I forget the exact trade, but I did one. It was actually before week two. So you know you probably even buy a little bit cheaper now. But I'll, I'll use it as sort of a trade that I'm going to try and keep making this week. So I forget the exact parameters, but I, I moved my late, my first, which is late, and Jacobs and Kelsey. Um, and I wound up getting um, Fields, Kittle, Mike Williams, and a second that I think will probably be early to mid. The reason that I'm picking this one is I think this is the way I want to be buying Fields this right now. So coming into this season, I traded my last Fields. Actually, I could have used this. I traded Fields, Tyreek Hill, and a first for, what was it, uh, Cooper Cup and Josh Allen, and I think maybe a second or something like that, or Kadarius Tony. I think I got in that deal. Nice. Um, that was getting rid of my last Justin Fields chip before the season. And kind of as I want to do, almost whenever the market starts to agree that my position is right, I start yep. to wonder if I'm wrong and try to, try, to, try to get in on the lower cost or sell at a higher cost. So I'm interested in buying into some fields right now. I never really love being 0% um, on an asset that's that high upside. I just didn't like the cost of off season. I was, I was talking through this trade in the discord with some people earlier today. And my attitude on it is like, you know, if you're going to pay roughly like two first value for Justin Fields, um, and that's still, you know, kind of a discount of where I think he was in the off season, which was more like three first value. To me, the way you could do it is by trying to package some depreciating guys because you're paying for Justin Fields with those first. You're taking on all of this massive risk that he goes bust. You don't have a quarterback next year. You don't have your own first round pick next year. That's a disaster. At least with doing it this way, 
you're already facing a reality that you're losing value on this collection of assets, right? Like yeah. I just mentioned, in this case, it's Jacobs and, and Kelsey. Oh, I think I tossed Stafford into that deal too. Uh, you know, any of these veteran types, you're already losing value um, when you go ahead uh, and keep those guys on your roster. So you're getting Fields production for the rest of this year, which I think will undoubtedly get better. Uh, they'll eventually let him run. And then in the off season, it's like, okay, let's say Fields goes complete bust. Maybe you look back and you say, oh, I gave away two firsts of value and now Fields is only worth one first or he's not worth anything, whatever. But going into the off season, you were probably already losing half of that value on depreciation. So that's the way I would try to do it. It's like you're paying cash up front for Fields rather than paying on credit for Fields. Yeah. Um, and I think you're kind of free rolling that upside in the future, in particular with some teams that you think you might be overloaded on these veteran depreciators where you probably already have more of your value associated with points than you necessarily do in long-term value to a point that, you know, you're not losing that much value or losing that much expected value by trading some of those guys, because you're still probably going to be in a playoff. You still have a decent chance of getting a buy and you can't really have that unbeatable team. Truly. You can only have, you know, a team that's contends for a buy and has a reasonable chance to beat your opponents in a series of weighted coin flips in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said and we might as well move on. Uh, to talk about Justin Fields. He's he's one of the QBs I want to talk about in terms of these young QBs. Some of them having really good first few weeks, some of them really struggling. And I agree with what you're saying a lot on Justin Fields. He's a guy who I sold a ton in the offseason. I believe I was at maybe uh, 15 or 20%. I went all the way down to about 5%. I'm hoping to go back up to 15 to 20%. And it's just because he is the rare player who is going to give you massive production this season. And he's incredibly young with upside and he's cheap. And that's almost impossible to find. We have guys like Christian McCaffrey and Travis Kelsey. And in the past guys like Tom Brady, obviously at the running back position where you're choosing between youth and production with Justin Fields, youth is kind of a red herring, right? Because it doesn't matter if he's not going to be starting right. in two years, exactly. but but there is the hypothetical upside that he could be starting in two years. It's not like Derrick Henry is going to be running the ball at age 35. Justin Fields could be a starting quarterback at age 28. So there is a certain level of upside and a rebound there. I like what you said about not giving away your first for him because that's how you destroy a team because you count on him to be a starting quarterback. That's not future first, right? Exactly. Like you, you know he's yeah. starting for the rest of this year. And yes. he's probably going to score fantasy points. So if you want to move your 24 first, by all means. But keep the 25 ones firmly on Abs lock. In, in Absolutely. And, and the same, what I want to do is I want to use guys like Jordan Love and CJ Stroud, who we're going to be talking about briefly, to try to get up to a guy like Justin Fields, or in this case, downgrade to Justin Fields, according to the right. market, potentially. So let, let's move on and talk about uh, Jordan Love. Um First of all, I just want to touch on how how good his first two games have been. Uh, he's got a 56% completion rate and just over 300 yards. He just happens to have six touchdowns on only 29 completions. And uh, I don't think that that 22% touchdown rate is going to stick or 11% if you prefer based on attempts. Only one big time throw, only 35 rushing yards in these two games. I don't see the upside for Jordan Love. I think he has cemented that he at least is a decent quarterback with all likelihood. However, I just don't understand all the love for him. No pun intended. What, what do you think? There? <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty disinterested. Uh, 
his, he's the number one, if you look at the chart where they go PFF rating versus EPA per play. And yeah. look, I'm not saying PFF rating is like the be all end all of, of uh, still determinations, but it actually is reasonably sticky for quarterbacks. And it is usually on the long sample, fairly correlated with EPA per play, um, which we know is, is probably one of the most sticky metrics we have for quarterbacks. In a small sample, that can get out of whack. And Love is the player with the highest differential between his EPA per play and his PFF grade, which is effectively saying qualitative grading is saying he's been fairly average and the results have been incredible, which is the kind of thing that can happen in two games against really bad defenses. Um, I don't think that our priors should be massively shifting on Jordan Love. I think we can feel comfortable, at least. <clears throat> Najee Harris just had a really bad drop. Um, <laughs> we can feel really comfortable that he's not like a total disaster artist at this point, right? Like, we didn't know that before. He could have came in and been horrific. He's not horrific. He's like a reasonable player. It's, at this point, certainly more than likely that he starts next year, you know, finishing yeah. up that contract that he, he sets. I've seen people say it's a lock. I think that 15 games is a lot of games. So I'm not going to say that anything is a lock with 15 games to go, but more than likely uh, beyond that. I don't know, man. Like it's it, our, he was not a particularly impressive prospect in college. You know, he didn't play for several years. Um, and Jalen Warren just caught a three yard pass, broke like four tackles and got a first down after Najee yes. Harris just had a horrible drop because Jalen yes. Warren is substantially better than him at football. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, all that to say, yeah, yeah I, I'm selling you. I mean, I don't, I don't have that much Jordan Love. I sold most of my Jordan Love in the summer, so I guess I should have waited a couple weeks. But um, yeah, I have I think, a couple Jordan Loves left, and he's he's gone if I can help it for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna try to get to zero ownership on Jordan Love. I mean, all you have to do, people have a way of thinking this early in the season where okay, the, the good things that have happened are going to continue. The bad things that have happened to bad play, to good players aren't going to continue. Baker wow. Mayfield's been, been better than Joe Burrow has been this season, right? Like, we can't just look at these two games and say Jordan Love's a starter, and also he hasn't even been that impressive. So I'm trying to sell Jordan Love as much as possible. I posted a few polls in the last few days. Uh, Jordan Love is winning the vote above Justin Fields, um, 55%. Uh, with over 3,000 votes at this point. So I would definitely be selling Jordan Love if possible. I originally posted, it, you just have to think about, Jordan Love was worth maybe a first before this season if you were lucky, and Justin Fields right. was worth three. So are you swinging each guy a first in either direction based on two weeks of play? I'm not, but the market seems to, and that's something we got to take advantage of. Yes, absolutely. By the way, uh, George Pickens having a real George Pickens stat line of now one catch for 71 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Love it. That's classic George Pickens. Made, I assume made it was a sweet play. It was, uh, yeah, he was like wide open on a slant, which like, I don't know how impressive that was, but then he broke a really nice tackle and galloped uh, away from the defenders. Like definitely showed some juice. Um, nice. So nice. We'll, we'll continue I... the same discourse we've always had about George Pickens this week, which is that uh, half of Twitter will be like, LOL, Deontay missed the game and Firemuth was banged up and he had a 17% target share. And then the other half will be like, did you see his touchdown? He's a grown-ass man. So um, something's changed, something's changed. Yep, and if you know anything about uh, Jacob and I, you know which side of that we will be on. <laughs> Moving cool on. Play. Yeah, to another uh, mm-hmm. quarterback who was super impressive. 
in his, I guess, Jordan Love had one career start heading into the season, but C.J. Stroud became the second quarterback in history with over 550 yards and no interceptions in his first two starts. Uh, very impressive. By the way, the other quarterback mm-hmm. was a Houston Texan. Can you guess who it was? Oh, man. Um, like he was a Texan when he did it? or was Texan, Texan when he did it. And Sorry. What, what was what was the exact first here? first two games 550 plus passing yards and zero interceptions first two games of their career first two starts or first, first two, games? two starts um well i guess probably deshaun watson right deshaun watson had a miserable first two games actually because i oh, looked that up true. today yeah uh was it matt schaub nope david carr nope there's not that many Texans quarterbacks. Um, Case Keenum. Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, I had uh, when I I just looked up the Stroud stat and I was pretty pretty overwhelmed that it was Case Keenum. But anyways, CJ wow. Stroud now has more games over 300 yards passing in his career than Justin Fields. So, what do you think about CJ Stroud in these first two games? I know he came in. I I was pretty high on him, but a lot of people weren't just because he lacked some of that rushing upside. What do you think about right. Stroud at this point? I think he looked good, man. I mean, it was it was kind of interesting. Like I thought originally, um, uh, when he was first kind of talked about, it was generally considered that was the one hundred two, one hundred three, where Brown and Bryce Young kind of in the pre-draft process. And then, you know, I thought he was going to be really overrated at that point in time. You look at his early startup ADP right around the rookie draft. He was tending to go kind of late round two, early round three. I thought that was again, you're you're just paying the price where he absolutely has to be really good in an NFL sense. And there's, there's really not much upside beyond that when you don't have a rushing um, profile. And so I was looking at it and I'm like, why, you know, if, if we want to chase the non-rushing quarterback who's young, like, uh, and I'm not even really a big Tua fan fantasy for exactly that reason, but like I would literally just rather have Tua because you're, you're yeah. getting that same profile, but we already know he's good. Whereas we have to hope that Stroud is good and Young is good. And Tua has Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. These guys have a bunch of, Jamokes. So, um, all that being said, the way the draft takes out, he winds up being the one five in consensus ADP in most of my drafts. Frankly, he was the one six. Yeah. And at that point in time, it was like now he's the, kind of the last of the tier. I, I like this price a lot more. He winds up falling into the fourth round and startup value by the end of the summer to a point where, like, yeah, some of the Strouds that I got saddled with with my one sixes that I had originally hoped were going to be Gibbs or JSNs. Totally reasonable price to pay at that point, uh, you know, for a, a prospect that his profile was legitimately good. I thought it was a little bit behind Bryce Young's, but in terms of, you know, not focusing on the fantasy aspect and on the rushing aspect, just, is this guy going to be a good quarterback in the NFL? Most likely scenario to me was always that he would. And I feel pretty good about that through two weeks. You know, he's playing with a horrible O-line and as much as we like Nico Collins, um, not very good wide receivers. When you consider that Nico Collins is clearly the best of them, um, and, you know, yeah, the results haven't been great, but he's been battling, man. Like, that's all you can really ask for is he's ripping it, he's throwing it, and he's not embarrassing himself. Yeah, I thought he's looked really good. Um, overall, I mean, I, I was incredibly impressed with him in his college film. Um, he was actually my highest rated quarterback uh, from my film grade over the last two years. Uh, I just thought that his ball placement was awesome. I know he was playing with incredible athletes there. Uh, but you know, 85 to 12 touchdown inter- interception ratio. We all know what he did in college and it's really hard for a quarterback to be good. I mean, 
he hasn't been incredible. He's taken 11 sacks. Obviously, this offensive line is bad, and now they got injured, so they're even worse. But I'm really impressed with what I've seen from Stroud, and I, I think his combination with Nico Collins could be could he, could be pretty good going in the future. And unlike Jordan Love, who I feel like has a lot to prove, I, I think Stroud has looked as good, if not better, than him. And obviously, mm-hmm. he comes in with a much higher pedigree, a much better prospect. So Stroud's a guy that I I can pretty confidently say this is a long-term NFL starter. Yeah, another guy, another player who I did not think was a long-term NFL starter, but it's been really impressive these first few weeks of the season is Baker Mayfield. And I did not think I'd be saying this at this point of the season, but Baker's just been really good these last two weeks. I was especially impressed with him this past weekend. Uh, according to next gen stats, when he was pressured, he was 14 for 17 for 223 yards and a touchdown. He was pressured 17 times in the game and did not take a sack. Just really impressive stuff from Baker. Do you care at all? Like, are, do you think he might keep a job? We know he's got the weapons there in Tampa. He, he was by far the cheapest starter other than maybe Ryan Tannehill going in startup drafts. He was going in the 15th, 16th round of a lot of startups basically free and it looks like you got pretty good money for that investment at this point yeah i mean already paid off really <laughs> i didn't even know he'd make it to week three so good for him i <laughs> uh, looks like he at least got out the season um yeah i mean the only circumstance i would be interested in buying baker mayfield would be like i need a quarterback because Aaron um, Rodgers. yeah yeah, if I, have a, if I have quarterback injury problems, bye week problems, Kenny Pickett just got taken out of the locker room with a shoulder injury, so that might be another guy. Um, You're probably better yeah. off starting your wide receiver six than Kenny Pickett at this point, but that's that's fair. Just a 71-yard touchdown pass. Um, yeah, yeah I, uh, so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like – I don't know. I think we've seen enough on Baker Mayfield. He played the Vikings and the Bears, probably two of the worst five defenses in the league. Um, they play the Eagles in primetime on Monday Night Football next week. And uh, we, you know, I'm looking forward to us all getting the treat of watching uh, primetime Baker Mayfield. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I have a few leftover Baker shares that I barely even knew about, and I'm selling all of them for seconds this week because I don't think this is going to last. Uh, this last one can be pretty quick. Are you worried at all about Trevor Lawrence? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Okay. He. I mean, he no. hasn't. He hasn't put up good numbers, but I think he's actually looked. He played quite good. He played great in week one. Um. Yeah. You know, week two they didn't move the ball. He threw like four touchdown passes that his dumb receivers couldn't get their foot down inbounds. Um. He's he's the the opposite of the spectrum, by the way. Jordan Love was the guy with the um, highest differential between. Uh, EPA per play being much better than PFF grade. Lawrence is the guy whose PFF grade is by far uh, better than his EPA per play. I, I have no concerns about Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I do me think neither. that uh, Doug Peterson should take back play calling. Yeah, me too. And and Trevor Lawrence, by the way, is tied for first in the NFL in big time throws uh, with Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, let's move away from the quarterbacks. Uh, I want to talk about some of the surprise bell cows that we've seen in the league this year, it happens every year. It's one of the reason why the zero or hero RB drafters go through that strategy. It's a reason that I know you and I love to stack up kind of low end backup running backs or mm-hmm. uh, running backs in questionable situations uh, on our dynasty rosters. I just want to talk about whether you think any of these guys are going to stick with this work or whether it's just, okay. you know, you got the profit, flip him, move on to the next guy. Let, let's start with Kyron Williams. 
who played 75 snaps, had every single rush attempts for the Rams and nine targets. What are you doing with Kyron Williams? Uh, I would be selling Kyron Williams, but I do have some Kyron Williams. Uh, yeah, he's, I think he's like a legitimate receiving option. He always was in college. And, you know, the bright side of him from a college perspective, certainly, was that he actually did have the ability to carry a workload to demonstrate, mm-hmm. right? This is a guy that uh, was able to handle, it was a clear lead back for multiple years at Notre Dame playing a legitimate schedule. And so that's really impressive. I, I know David Wilsey uh, is focused on that aspect of, you know, maybe underplaying his athleticism. The issue is he is 196 pounds and he's not athletic. And that type of profile is not one that is usually sustainable. So to me, I view Kyron Williams as more the type that, yeah, like if forced into this situation, he can not totally embarrass himself. But this just is not the type of profile of back that teams actively want to be leading their team. Um, And interestingly, uh, he winds up in this game getting this massive workload I think really because, I mean, if you kind of read between the lines, it sounds like Cam Akers is just like, you know, a, a, a malcontent at the workplace. Yeah. <laughs> it's like did, kind of did, did Cam Akers kind of again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I don't think that this was like, like they might have had, they clearly had a game plan to start the year that Kyron was going to be, you know, a much bigger part of the offense than he was last year. But I don't think that they actually envisioned um going into this year with Kyron Williams ever seeing like a 97% snap rate in a football game. Um, and yeah, he was dead last in rush yards over expected per attempt. I understand that it's the 49ers, so that's going to have its own set of issues. I, I don't think he was an overly impressive rusher. I don't think that this running game is going to be conducive to overly impressive rushing. It was nice that he was able to actually demand targets when most running backs of the Rams never do, no matter how many routes they run. So I think that that's a legitimately positive sign. I think we're probably waiting for the other shoe to drop. We have seen the Rams use backs in very massive roles before in a pinch because they just don't like the other guys. And usually, yeah. eventually, things change. So um, I, I would definitely keep an eye on the Rams as a Jonathan Taylor team. Like We know that they value running backs because they have drafted – Todd Gurley highly. They drafted Cam Akers highly. And they love they trading tried to trade for Christian. Picks. They tried to trade for Christian McCaffrey last year. We yeah. also know that they are more than willing to trade for guys. And, you know, the most important thing, the reason why I, I thought the, the Jonathan Taylor trade was a legitimate possibility for the Rams this summer, you know, the best reason that I saw people say why it wasn't was, you know, the Rams are going to suck this year. They're in rebuild mode. Maybe now they look at their team through two weeks and say, they and say, I don't know if we are, <laughs> right? I, I mean, mean they, Matt Stafford they can be fantastic. Right. Matt, Matt Stafford looks absolutely phenomenal. Like legitimately has played like a top five quarterback in the NFL. Honestly, top, like you can make an argument for top one quarterback in the NFL yeah. for two weeks. He has been incredible and he's pretty old. So I can see if you're the Rams saying, you know what? We have one more year, maybe, maybe two more years with prime Matthew Stafford. Let's just do this. And so I could see them going all, all in for Taylor. I think they're probably like the single most likely team to, to trade for Jonathan Taylor if he's not just back with the Colts. So that's in play. They could do a veteran signing. Maybe they like swap Cam Akers for some other crappy running back, kind of like we saw the Naeem Hines, Zach Moss trade last year. And then <laughs> yeah. they worked that guy in. And, you know, they still have Zach Evans lurking as a sixth round pick. Obviously not bullish for him that he's been a healthy and active. But I, I still think if the backfield stays as it is, that they probably would give him a shot at some point to just even get a few touches and see what he can do on them. So 
I think in Dynasty, if you can get like, you know, even into the early second range for Kyron Williams, uh, it just really, really would surprise me if we're looking at him as like a core contributor. I think his best case scenario is you get kind of the Michael Carter, Devin Singletary type. Yeah, that's good shot. For a given year. And then, you know, next year it's no longer in the cards. Yeah, I do think he could be valuable um, in redraft because he, you brought up yeah. the Jonathan Taylor scenario. Definitely a possibility. Uh, but I also think it's possible that Kyron's just the guy for the rest of the year. However, sure. I, I agree with you. You know, start him while he is the guy. But if you can get a second for him, I would do it. I traded him straight up for Josh Downs earlier today. Um, that's a trade I was pretty excited about. Uh, so I, I think I'm on the same page with you there. Uh, by the way, Bryce Young just uh, kind of pulled the Kenny Pickett fake slide-ish move and oh. picked up a 30-yard run. They, uh, it was really nice. Can can they ban this play? Like I, I this yeah. is maybe my own. This is my most boomer take. It, it's a stupid play that you're allowed to do this. It was really cool when Kenny Pickett did it the first time, and it wasn't there was like nobody had seen it before, and it was like, oh, that's creative. Like I'm all for players working inside the rules to you know. Whatever's allowable, take advantage of it. All for it. From a league perspective, though, it's it's just a really stupid position to put defenders into. I think they did ban it. Didn't they ban it in college? I don't know if they banned it in the NFL. I'm they pretty should, sure they, they banned, banned it in the NFL. College. We've seen it a few times in just a couple of weeks now in the NFL. Yeah. It, it does need to go. I mean, I also think you're also like legitimately putting like ligaments at risk when you're having offensive players and then by proxy defensive players have to try yeah. to come up with sudden stops while running at full speed on turf and like then react. Like it's just, it, it, I think it's a safety issue and it's uh, just like a stupidity issue of what you're as a defender. Now your choice, it's like a zone read where you're reading, like, do I want a 15 yard penalty or to give up 10 more yards on the run? <laughs> like it's the world's stupidest situation. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a Bush league play, like good on pet Kenny Pickett for doing it at the moment, but I agree it, it should absolutely not be allowed. And that was probably the the last good thing that Kenny Pickett did, except apparently throw a, throw an eight yard slant and get it housed. Um, like a nice 18 yard crosser. Yeah. I actually haven't seen the play yet. So fair enough. <laughs> um, let's talk about Brian Robinson now. Uh, yeah. 18 rush attempts to Antonio Gibson's two this past week. And I thought Robinson looked really good, um, especially running the football. He did have a receiving touchdown as well. Uh, Washington now has a mobile quarterback. Their offense is pretty solid. I think Brian Robinson might be here to stay. Yeah, I think that that is very plausible. I I mean, I tweeted out basically my, my take on him is that I think he's been an underrated runner in the sense that he's just very sound. Like he's always been a guy who gets graded out better qualitatively. Uh, than he necessarily does in the stats. And if you look, you know, more at the stats, try to tell you a picture of what types of decisions a running back is making and what he has control of beyond his athletic abilities. His success rate, especially relative to teammates, is quite high. Um, and I think he, like, is he really has a fundamental understanding of how to play the position. That being said, you know, the way that I looked at it was like, oh, this is a guy that, despite all that, and despite being underappreciated doesn't catch any passes and he's not very athletic. And so the payoff is pretty limited and maybe he just got shot because he's actually playing on some passing situations now. Not a lot. He's never going to be, uh, he's never going to fool anybody for being Austin Eckler out there, but he could be a James Connor, David Montgomery quality pass catcher. That seems possible. Yeah. And he has way more juice uh, this season to me than I saw last season. He's never going to win 
you know, he doesn't have the long speed. He's not going to be housing 60 yard touchdowns, but he definitely has the requisite long speed to, you know, churn out 20, 30 yard chunk games. Um, Antonio Gibson has always been a very overrated talent. I've, I've called him a topological talent in the sense that he is talented because we say he's talented, but there's like no real metric based evidence of him being such um, after That's his fair. rookie year. Like his yeah. rookie year was good. Ever since then, he's just been a totally inefficient runner. He's a good path catcher, but he's, he's like not been an explosive runner. He's not been a consistent runner. He's not been efficient in any capacity. He's just a bad runner uh, who's a good path catching back who happens to be large and fast. Um, so I think this, the, the, frankly, they're using their backfield optimally and they're getting a lot of a Robinson. Yeah, I mean, don't think you're ever going to want to pay a first for him. Um, so maybe the buy window is kind of closed. I don't know, but he's he's interesting. Like where I have shares, I'm not rushing out to panic sell him for twos or anything like that. No, me neither. And and you, you got to be happy with what you saw from Robinson. Obviously, J.D. McKissick was there last year. But last year, Brian Robinson uh, was only on the field for 19, only at a 19% pass participation. Uh, this last week, it was up around 30%. Uh, again, yeah. it's it's a small improvement, but it definitely everything helped. He ran 16 routes to Antonio Gibson's uh, 25, so that's that's not bad, right? He if he's going right. to get all the short down and distance work, if he's going to be able to you know get two or three targets a game, that that's enough to be a mid RB two, high end RB two, which is a great investment at the price he was going at. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, another guy who think might be turning into a pretty damn good investment at the price he was going at is James Cook. Uh, really impressive game by James Cook. I think what's most interesting is how the Bills are using all of their running backs. They're using their running backs far more than they have in previous seasons. Um, and James Cook has been very effective. So 60% snap rate this season. He's only running about 50% of the routes, but he's been very efficient. You know, last year he was arguably the most efficient running back in the NFL, but it was only on I think 86 or 89 rushing attempts, something like that. Well, he's followed it up this year by being incredibly efficient again. And I know it's still a pretty small sample, but at a certain point, you just have to assume he's going to be one of those guys who can get five yards of carry. He's up at 5.8 this year. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish on James Cook at this point. The, the negative would be that he's gotten zero out of the four touches inside the five yard line and only two out of the 10 inside the 10 yard line. But he might be a guy who can succeed on only, you know, four or five touchdowns a season. Yeah. If you're getting all the path down work that he's getting and all the early down rushing work that you're getting, like you don't really need the touchdowns. You certainly need it to have an elite season. I, I also think that the more he proves himself, like it's kind of one of those things where if he actually is legit as a talent, yeah. you know, if you're the person who's like, but he doesn't get the goal line work. That's like kind of one of those things that, a really solvable issue. Like just all it takes like one day, Ken Dorsey wakes up and says, what if we give James Cook the ball inside the 10? And then it, it's, like it's, it's like Austin Eckler, right? Right. So it's like, there, there's things that are systemic issues and that's kind of not like it's, it's a pretty solvable issue. So I don't want to fade someone solely for that reason. Um, I wish that we did this later in the week just for this specific player. I, so the way I'm doing my hitchhiker's guide to running back column is I'm kind of doing the, the initial I want to sort of talk like the guys who are pro- really going to be very waiver relevant, maybe some initial trades. So um, uh, we're going to be talking about like the Giants backfield and we're going to be talking about the Rams, of course, like we just mentioned um, yeah. initially. 
And then as we get a little bit later in the week, I'm going to be doing some spotlights on just some sort of deeper players that I want to try and learn a little bit more about and provide some deeper analysis on. Cook is going to be included in that. So that's a guy um, where I thought week one was kind of more or less what I expected. He was still not really popping in the consistency metrics. I thought he looked good going outside. I thought he looked meh between the tackles. He was good receiving work, didn't get the role. This week, he has one of the most impressive performances in the league by RYOE um, for attempt, has a much more substantial role uh, in the running game. We'll see. I have yet to watch the film very closely. I was not keeping track much of that game. I'm going to watch basically every single touch that he had, try to make a determination on, you know, not as much like, is, this, is he not going to work out as an RB1 because they just won't give him the goal line work? I think that's silly. But is there are there still these structural limitations in his game that I, I really thought that he had just based on the fact that he had such a limited workload background in college? Yeah. Um, and, you know, more of that than the size, but a combination of that and the size. Does he have a systemic roadblock where I think that they're actually correct in using Damian Harrison, Latavius Murray in that role? and where I have concerns about whether he'll hold up to his current role over the long term, or is he, you know, very legit and it's purely just, you know, boomer coaching that is holding him back from this one particular facet of the role that could shift at any day. Um, so we'll see. That's going to be kind of what I'm going to be trying to identify when, when I'm watching him. And I don't know yet, but that's, that's the way I'm looking at it for sure. Nice. Nice. Excited to read that later in the week. But one note I do want to say is that James Cook has gone over 15 touches two games in a row. First time since high school he's had over 15 touches in a game. So it might I, – I never like to predict injuries. That There honestly isn't that much of a correlation between size and injuries, but you always worry about a guy who's never proven he can do it before, yeah, like yeah. Kyron Williams, for instance. James Cook does not have that background, so it's a bit of a concern. Um, let's we, – we got four running backs left here. Why don't you pick who your favorite one is to talk about? We got DeAndre Swift. Raheem yeah. Mostert, Rashad White, and Zach Moss. Who do you want to talk about? <laughs> I don't want to talk about Zach Moss. Zach um, Moss played every single snap. He was the only running back to log a snap for the Colts. Yeah, let's not talk yeah, about that. Yeah, that's a that's a Deion Jackson issue. Yeah, it is. That is. Um, yeah, I think that uh, I don't think Zach Moss is long for this world. Although if Jonathan Taylor like gets traded or something, I mean, he could be long for this season. Like the, the Colts don't have any other often and they're still not serious contenders so i don't see yeah. any reason why they wouldn't uh just continue to roll with zach moss he seems like he's the best alternative but uh yeah i'll talk about we could, we could talk about swift or white probably the most interesting to me uh white has the big week this week um he's another guy i'm going to feature in the spotlight i thought he looked like crap in the minnesota game and i haven't dug in enough yet to the film on this next game because it's only monday but the stats still don't describe like an effective player coming out. He was still in the bottom third in rush yards over expected per attempt, which is like, honestly, it does, a, it does an okay job of isolating running back play from environment and raw stat line. So when you see a player yeah, that and has it, a good stat line and a, it gets a really easy matchup and the RYOE is still bad, that's like, that's like kind of red flag city for me because I think it's far more likely – to just understate the impact of environment than to overstate, you know, what, what it's trying to do. Right. That would be um, my read on it. So I, I thought he looked slow, especially in the first game. Uh, he had reportedly put on additional weight. 
Um, his, was not an efficient runner as a rookie, you know, was really uh, the bulk of his, his profile from college was more based on his ability as a receiver coupled with size and speed. So we'll see, but yeah, at the moment, at least he's a guy that I think I'm really, really trying to sell off of this big game, certainly more so than um, Swift. Yeah, no, that makes sense. By the way, Chris Olave. Ah, oh, he stepped out of bounds. God damn it. It was another oh, touchdown, yeah. but he stepped out of bounds. Oh, shit. Um, nah, that's too bad. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I, I'm i interested. Let, let's talk after you watch the film, because I watched uh, the Rashad White film this morning. I was actually pretty excited about it. I thought he looked a lot more like the running back we saw in college. He was a lot more decisive, which I really liked it. I... Uh, RYOE, which is rushing yards over expected. I, I agree. It does a decent job at figuring out how good a running back is independent of the scenario. For, for those who don't know, it basically looks at where the running back got the ball, uh, where all of the offensive linemen are, where all the defenders are, predicts how many yards a running back should get if they were a quote unquote average running back, and then just does the math to find the Delta. Rashad White, I believe, was second to last in the NFL last year, uh, and Fournette was last or vice versa, but this Tampa Bay line is absolutely terrible. And I do think there's something to be said where when you don't know where the hole is going to be and you don't know if the hole is going to be open, you start making poor decisions. And RYOE doesn't pick up on that, right? No. So there is a certain level of overcompensation there. I thought Rashad White was really good. He forced six missed tackles this week um, on his 17 carries. He had over three yards after contact per attempt. I thought, I agree, he's not a burner, but I thought he was a lot more confident and showed better contact balance this week. Um, interested to see if you feel the same. And importantly- yeah, I'm interested on the, I'm, I'm interested on the decisiveness because that was, yeah. I thought like, I thought the two things that I really took away from um, his first game was one, I did not think he had the same juice that I'm used to seeing of him, especially what you see the tested athleticism. And I kind of put that on some of the weight gain that he had. Yeah. And then uh, the other issue was the indecisiveness. There, there was like yeah. times where he was coming up to the line and like hopping around almost. Like he was like kind of doing like this weird two-step where he was like trying to bait out. He's giving up all of his leverage. He's giving up all the center of gravity. And by the time that he picked the lane, defenders were just meeting him and he had no leverage on them any longer. So yeah. I'm excited to see if that, you know, got addressed in the film room and was properly rectified. Um, Cause certainly that, that would be a, a major boost for him. Yeah. It's like he was doing a bad Lavian bell impression. Um, anyways, right. let's move on to talk about the wide receivers. By the way, Tony Jones just vultured a touchdown. Uh, last thing I do want to say about Rashad white is that, he is one of the few running backs who's a true bell cow at this point. Uh, That's two touchdowns today for Tony Jones, by the way. I love it. Uh, Rashad White ran 70% of the routes. He had five targets. He played every single snap on long down and distance and in the two-minute drill. This is a full bell cow back. I don't blame you for wanting to sell because I do not believe in the talent. And he's the type of guy where if you can package him with another mediocre talent to get a first, I absolutely love it. But... I'm not panic selling white for a second or anything like that, because I do think he can be quite valuable uh, this season. Uh, so for instance, I would take Rashad white over Kyron Williams, just to relate to a guy we sure. uh, spoke about earlier, Sure. Uh, which I know is damning with faint praise, but we're talking about Rashad white here. So it's the best we can do. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to the wide receivers, I want to touch briefly about Jameer Gibbs because uh, you had a tweet earlier today talking about Jameer Gibbs's usage uh, obviously with his Dave Montgomery injury, he's out a few weeks, maybe Gibbs's usage will change, but 
I don't understand why people are upset about it because what the hell were people expecting? He's a 195-pound running back. He got seven rush attempts in each of the first two games. His uh, routes went up from nine routes to 21 routes this week, and he was targeted on nine of those 21 routes this week for a 43% target rate. I mean, I yes, I would love if he ran 28 instead of 21 and maybe got 10 rushing attempts instead of seven, but... I only projected him for 13 touches a game this season, and he is already getting that in its week two. So I, I don't know. Well, you go off on this. Oh, it's it's silly. I mean, as I'm really curious, like what people thought they were drafting, and I guess beyond that, if people thought they were drafting the uses that they're complaining Twitter, then why a first round? redraft pick like i like to me i was comfortable with his mid to late third redraft adp and i projected him to see between 30 and 40 percent of the team carry season long with an expectation that we would probably see less than that to start the year and maybe get up to about 50 50 by the end very end of the year and then the main driver of course was that i was predicting to see you know a close to a 20 percent target share so i even wrote I said, all right, start the year. He's probably not, he's certainly not going to be seeing anywhere close to the majority in carries. He's not going to be playing at the goal line. And he's probably not even going to be playing on third downs in two minute drill situations at the very beginning because David Montgomery is going to be the more trusted pass catcher. Jameer Gibbs is pretty small. Yeah. That's, you know, pretty much what happened in the first game. I was like, the hope is, is that he gets basically the DeAndre Swift role from last year to start, which is like 30 to 40% of snaps, a lot of spammed early down targets on design plays and some rushing attempts that, you know, make uh, use of him moving laterally. Kind of got a little bit of that week one. We saw some of those creative rushing attempts. He was efficient on those. We didn't get a lot of pass work. And then I was like, probably the next thing to come is hopefully we start to get that a little more third downs, a little more two minutes. We got that this week, even before Craig Reynolds um, came in for David Montgomery, uh, Jameer Gibbs was splitting long down the distance and two minute drill situations evenly with David Montgomery. He was playing yeah. way more running double the amount of routes that he was running in week one already in week two. Sure enough, he's nine targets. So we're back, you know, even between the two games, we're on a pace of 5.5 per game with probably far more predictive route participation from week two than what we saw in week one. So yeah, I think what are we going to look at for the rest of the year? You should be expecting hopefully between, you know, seven to 10 carries each week. For the time being, and hopefully between six to eight targets each week. That's you know pretty much an ideal scenario, I think, for Gibbs. And you're going to see more efficient use. Uh, you're going to see more efficiency than we saw in week two, without a doubt. And you're going to enjoy the targets, right? And the idea is he's going to have so many targets, he's going to be using space that kind of similar to what we're talking about with James Cook. Like hopefully he's going to be able to score from distance. Right, it's not going to be a guy that's going to be able to consistently get a bunch of carries inside the five, but we knew that already. To me, if that profile didn't sound enticing to you, don't draft him. Right? If he if he had four targets through two weeks, I totally get being tilted about Jameer Gibbs. But the fact that he's coming off a nine-target game and people are tilted, it's like, who did you think that you were drafting? You know, like this, he's a, he's like 199 pounds. He has very little power in this game. He's a explosive speed back. Yeah. And an extremely elite receiving back. That's what he is. That's what he was used like. Yeah, I guess people are going to tilt this week because probably Craig Reynolds is going to get half the carries. 
He should though. Jameer Gibbs shouldn't get yeah. 30 carries. It wouldn't work. I mean, I, I completely agree. Maybe one day he's a freaking rookie. It's his third game. He's not that yeah. good at that stuff. He's really good at other things. I mean, my two comps for him was 2017 Austin Eckler, who had 120 carries and 100 targets, and 2019 Austin Eckler, uh, sorry, 2017 Alvin Kamara, and then 2019 right. Austin Eckler, who had 132 carries and 108 targets. That's basically what Gibbs has to do. It meet, that's, that's seven or eight carries a game, and that's six targets a game is what he needs to do to get there. He is already on pace to break that. So I, I am very happy with Jameer Gibbs' usage so far early in the season. Um, yeah, totally agree. It's, it's kind of like the people that would always tilt about like, why is Derrick Henry, why are Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb not being used in the passing game? It's like, yeah, you know, newsflash everyone, like the coach's job is not to maximize the return of your fantasy picks. Like your job is to analyze what they're going to do. And I'm, I'm not like a person who does not tilt coaches. Like I will tilt coaches, but when I, when I tilt coaches, it's usually because I think that the coaches are hurting my fantasy team in the process of acting suboptimally. I yeah. don't think that that's the case with Jameer Gibbs, right? There's no sense in using a running back who is a dynamic talent that you're invested in for the future in a capacity that they have no comparative advantage over a completely replacement level running back, right? Yeah. That's what Craig Reynolds is. I- I'm sorry. J- Jameer Gibbs does not have any comparative advantage over a replacement level running back running between the tackles on a bunch of duo um, carries. It's-, it's just, he doesn't. And if you, if that annoys you, then you should not have drafted him. And that's fine. It's an accurate flaw in his play that maybe he will fix at one point in time if he bulks up or he has more practice reps or, he, you know, whatever. It's not a part of his game right now. So use him on the stuff that he has a legitimate advantage on. There's a lot of it. It takes creativity. My hope was that by investing the 12th overall pick, they were willing to orchestrate an offense that played to his strengths when he was on the field. I, they didn't necessarily do that in week one, but I would say that after week two, I think I have a lot of faith that, that yeah, that that is what they're going to do with him. And I feel great about him. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think you don't have to look any farther than Alvin Kamara to find an example of why he shouldn't be used this way. We saw Alvin Kamara average five and a half yards a carry over the first four years of his career when he was basically getting 12 carries a game. And then the last two years, he went over that 200 carry mark and wasn't able to get over four yards in attempt. Like they were just using him incorrectly. So I would rather them keep using Gibbs in this role. He doesn't need to be Christian McCaffrey. Maybe he becomes Christian McCaffrey or maybe he becomes Jameer Gibbs and that'll be enough um, for him to be successful. Christian McCaffrey, by the way, at 3.5 yards per carry in his first season was used less as a rusher than Jonathan Stewart and was clearly a worse runner than Jonathan Stewart. It it is entirely possible for Jameer Gibbs to to show improvement in his game in that area. But for the moment, uh, he's in an appropriate role. And he's in a fantasy-friendly role. Like, what what did he have this week? He had, like, what, 13, 14 fantasy points without a touchdown and with horrible efficiency? Well, that's that's what I was going to say. He's on the season. He is he has 13 expected fantasy points a game. Now that's that's not excellent. That's basically a low end RB two. But for a player's first two games of their career, that's totally okay. You know, I, I expect right. that to go up. But 13 expected points a game is not bad for a guy like Gibbs, especially no. who you hope will be more efficient than his expected fantasy points and therefore might get up to, you know, 14, 15 points a game. I had him projected for about 15 points a game coming into the season. I still think he can get there. Um, 
Let's move on to talk about the wide receivers. I know we've gone long on some of these running backs, but that's kind of your bread and butter. Uh, w- would you mind actually telling everyone uh, about uh, all of the great running back work that, you, that you're doing before we move on to the wideouts? Oh, man. Um, yeah, you can find out all on Thinking About Thinking, for sure. Um, JacobSanderson.substack.com. That was what you asked, right? I Sorry, I was checking something, and I ha- missed half your question. Oh, yeah, no worries. You I- find it. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just saying plug your newsletter. Basically, Jacob. Oh, plug. Okay, uh, good, good. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, I didn't hear the question correctly then. Okay, I wanted yeah, to Yeah, no, no. I, like, I was 80% sure I heard your question correctly because um, I was just quickly checking the game. And then I was like, oh, my God, if you didn't ask that and I just responded by plugging my newsletter, I'm, I'm going to sound like the world's biggest asshole. But you did ask me that. So, yes, it's thinking no, about thinking. JacobSanderson.substack.com. My anxiety attack is averted. Yeah, no, good stuff. And 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 Jacob's yeah. writing uh good deep diving on all these running backs a hell of a lot. So definitely yeah. make sure to check check that out. Um let's talk about some wide receivers here. Let w- yeah. we'll roll through these kind of quickly, but I kind of just want a dynasty value update. Where do you rank these guys um against kind of draft pick values? We have to start with Puka Nakua, uh six wide receiver ever, uh, with two games as a rookie. Uh, I'm sorry, with two games of 10 plus yards and 100 plus uh, 10 plus receptions and 100 plus yards in the season, joining Anquan Bolden, Odell Beckham Jr., Michael Thomas, Marquez Colston, and Gary Clark, all of whom had at least one top 12 season in their career, three of whom had a top three season in their career. He is the third wide receiver ever with 35 or more targets through two weeks. Yes, I said 35 targets through two weeks. <laughs> so what the hell are you doing with Puka Nakua in Dynasty? Dude, I have no idea. I mean, I don't either. I think I I'm don't. probably going to wind up like defaulting to hold, I guess. Yeah. Um, mostly because I unfortunately don't have a lot of shares. I, I, it's like pains me that I don't because the opportunity cost is nothing. So I really wish that I just drafted them in every fourth round. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a situation where like I don't have a ton of shares. The ones that I do have, I'm probably not moving unless I'm absolutely bowled over by an offer. And like, I'm not even really soliciting offers at this point. I think, you know, maybe I'll think about it after week four, but like for two more games, I think we're just, it's probably just going to keep getting fed. Right. There's like no reason to think otherwise. Um, no, I, maybe I, I when think Cup he comes will. back, it changes, but at the very least until cup comes back, I don't think we have any reason to expect him not to just get completely fed targets. Um, so much of the system is, you know, a lot of it's pre-ran and, a lot of it's clearly designed to get the ball into certain players that they're building their route concepts around and identifying him as a guy who really fits that those in-breaking routes they want to run in their offense. And it seems like a home run by uh, McVay and the scouting team there. And for every, you know, dynasty player that, that really saw this coming more than I did. So great for them. Um, great for everybody involved. And I think, yeah, like, it would take like a one that I think has legit upside for me to move him. Like if someone says they move him for a late one, I don't think that's bad. I also don't think it's like bad to trade a late one for him. I think that's just kind of neutral. Um, you know, it's just kind of one of those situations like where if I had a ton of Puka Nakua, I would probably want to sell a few off for yeah. that late one price tag just to secure something from that investment and kind of diversify on an extremely volatile asset. But seeing as though I don't have a lot, I, I probably am holding unless I'm just completely overwhelmed by the offer um, at this point. Yeah, no, I, I feel pretty similarly. Uh, he He's tough. I'm, I'm excited to see the rest of his season and the rest of his career because he's, he's definitely one of the most interesting players to come into uh, the dynasty circle in a very long time. So uh, 
rapid fire. Uh, Cooper Cup or Puka Nakua? Uh, in Dynasty, yeah, it would be still Cup for me. I mean, okay. How about uh, yeah. Puka or Christian Watson? I mean, that's an interesting one. Uh, I talked about that a lot in the Discord, and I, I ultimately came down on Watson's side. But yeah. that's one where, like, I totally think it's it's like legitimately reasonable to to have that discussion. And um, I think I'll be doing an update to my Dynasty ranks this week, and I'll probably have them in the same tier. Yeah, me too. So I, I I'm I'm in the process of updating. Uh, I know in my last update, I had Watson, Addison, and Quentin Johnston as my 16, 17, 18 in some order. I think Puka is going to land right around 18 to 20, right in that range. Um, so I, I think that makes sense. What, what I'm going to do with my Puka shares, if I'm going to move them, is going to be moving them for a locked-in superstar. I'm not going to be right. trading him for a first unless it has upside, like you said. Instead, what I'm going to be doing is try to combine him with to uh to go get josh allen right i mean m- maybe you have to add something in there right uh, or, or combine him with Traylon burks in a second to go get chris Olave, right use his value as a first round pick to get a surefire superstar Agreed. but i don't need to trade him for a re-roll of a first round pick because i just don't think that's worth it at this point yeah i totally agree with that sentiment exactly all right nico collins we already talked about i just wanted to throw some stats out there because i because i put them together do it at least Eric. seven targets in six straight games. He's over a hundred air yards for the second straight week. In the, <laughs> mid, in the middle Sorry, of the field. Kenny Pickett just made a really embarrassing decision. I, I don't know how it didn't get intercepted. Oh no, I'm excited. Like, I'm watching it right oh, now. I'm right behind you. Oh, throw it out of bounds, Kenny. Oh no. God, he's so I don't know bad. how how did this get dropped? He's oh, so bad. God. Man. <laughs> so um, bad me. Anyways, uh, you mentioned how good Nico was over the middle of the field. Uh, he ha- he's been targeted nine times, and he has eight catches for 160 yards in between the hashes. He's top five in air yards this season. The other top five are Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, Puka Nakua, and Kendrick Bourne. And by the way, just throwing this in there, Zay Flowers is 65th in air yards this season, just behind Dontavian Wicks, uh, just for what it's worth. We don't need to go into Zay Flowers, but thought that was amusing. Anyways, Nico Collins, here to stay. While we're talking about air yards, let's talk about Marvin Mims, who only ran five routes this week. He only had two targets, and he had 91 air yards on those targets, got wide open deep twice. What do you think about Marvin Mims at this point? Still, obviously, a part-time player. Uh, yeah, what was his yards per hour on this week? Like 22? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's all, like kind of similar to the Devon A-Chain stuff. It's like always mildly alarming when you have a, a rookie with legitimate investment and then you also have injuries on the depth chart and that that doesn't spur them to action in uh you know involving that player in the offense that being said every team treats rookies differently so i try not to hold um you know rookies too accountable for the early season usage that they get um unless we start seeing them go on the field and be bad and we haven't seen that with mitts he went on the field and was awesome you know um certainly a field stretcher. I think they have to get him more involved. That offense looked really stale. And frankly, like at this point in time, I watched a lot of that game yesterday and watching Ross, like it's, that's the one thing you can still do well. Like he does not have, he he can't read the field. His pocket presence has always been bad, but you know, all those sacks that he used to spin out of and get into the open field and make something happen. Like he just can't spin out of them anymore. So now all those plays that used to be, 
highlight of the night on SportsCenter are just are are just sad sacks. <laughs> so to me, like you're not going to be able to have consistent drives matriculating the ball down the field with Russell Wilson at this point. I feel pretty confident that you know Sean Payton is not saving that. But what he can do is throw extremely pretty deep balls very yeah. far down the field. Like his arm strength is not gone while the rest of um, this is last. So if that's your offense, if you need to be an explosive play offense, it's going to have to be run the ball, run the ball, play action, deep shot type of system. And Marvin Mims has to be on the field for that because, you know, that's, that's the guy who's the burner who can run those posts and run those go routes. And you have to have that speed on the field because that's how they're going to be able to move the ball. Yeah, I mean, I'm more interested in you doing a breakdown of Jarrett Stidham's game because I don't know how much longer Russ is going to be the starter there, but we can we can get to that at a future occasion. I, I agree. Like, when you see a guy like Mims put up this type of production, and what I like about it is it's the same thing that he was doing in college. So it's not like this is just right. a flash in the pan. This is what he's good at. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to be as solid of a wide receiver as I would like, as technically refined. I don't know if he's going to have a high target share, but – Certainly good signs for Marvin Mims. I would not be necessarily selling him based on this, you know, outlier game because I do think the usage will follow. Uh, one guy right. whose usage has been incredible, another second second round rookie wide receiver um, is Jaden Reed, who mm-hmm. didn't play any snaps in two wide receiver personnel this uh, this past week, which isn't great for his usage. However. When he was on the field, he had a 47% target rate, which is absolutely absurd. You love to see it. Obviously, Christian Watson wasn't in the game, but still, he got eight targets on his 17 routes. Um, Not super deep down the field, but still, just an impressive game from Reed. I thought he looked really good after the catch. He looked really smooth. Um, It's clear that when Watson comes back, Reed's probably not going to see a lot of the field in two wide receiver sets, but... He is the locked-in slot option, and I think he's a damn good one. I mean, I don't think he's going to see a lot of the field in two wide receiver sets immediately. But, I mean, Romeo Dobbs, week two, post-hamstring injury, still didn't play a full complement of routes. Like, they were still rotating in a bunch of dudes. I'm not so sure that the Packers are, like, fully sold on him as an immovable object for Jaden Reed. Like, I, I definitely think... When Watson comes back, it'll start off as those are the two wide receivers and Jaden Reed's a slot wide receiver. But I I, I do think that um, if Reed just like consistently plays better than Dobbs, it's like we were saying with James Cook, all it takes is one coach to make a decision one morning. And I could easily see a scenario where, uh, you know, they decide that that's the better spot to put their team in. So I think, yeah, week three, no. Week 10, it's totally possible. Yeah, and and for that reason, I'm definitely buying Jaden Reed again, e- even after a spike game. I don't think his value is going to be as high as it should be. Uh, again, in this first version of my rankings, still got some time to go. I do have Jaden Reed in my top 30 receivers near the bottom end of that top 30, but I do think he's a massive buy right now, especially if Love uh, proves to be competent, which remains to be seen. <laughs> uh, I just saw the Nick Chubb injury again. Man, ha- yeah, have you ever been badly hurt? Uh, not that badly hurt. It's, I, I, I mean, I just watching his face after they carted him off, like as oh. painful as those injuries are, it just sucks when you know that you are out for however long and the next 
however many months of your life is going to be devoted to that. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm not an NFL athlete, but I've drawn my ACL. I broke my collarbone twice. The second time I broke my collarbone, I knew what it was immediately, obviously. And mm. I wasn't even that, like, it wasn't even pain. I was just so pissed knowing that I, like, couldn't right. sleep or shower for the next month. So, uh, obviously, feel terrible. awful for Nick Chubb. Um, oh, horrible. Want to touch on two tight end battles as as kind of the final note before we sign off here. First one is an interesting one that I am conflicted on and I need you to convince me one way or the other, please. Because Dalton Kincaid and Kyle Pitts now have identical value in the dynasty landscape. And I am not sure if that should be the case. Um, Kincaid is actually 12 days older than Kyle Pitts, but they're basically the same age. The issue is that Kyle Pitts has only had more than three catches twice in his last 30, sorry, twice in his last 13 games. Meanwhile, Kincaid has gone over three catches in both of his games in the NFL. I still don't love the way they're using Kincaid. He hasn't been targeted down the field a whole lot. It's been a lot of the dump offs, but clearly Kincaid is going to be a big part of this offense that I think is only going to grow while Kyle Pitts is a small part of a smaller pie, at least for this year. Granted, he's a better prospect. I have I have 50% exposure to Dalton Kincaid. I have 45 shares. So should I be offering them one for one for Kyle Pitts or what should I be doing right now? I, I don't I like just like giving people advice on the Kyle Pitts thing. Cause like my tolerance for getting tilted by Kyle Pitts weekly is like very high. Yeah. Like it, it just honestly does not even bother me at this point. Like um his, you know, like this basically the first game. You know, really, only, the only game that I would say is like legitimately concerning, and one well, I wouldn't even say it's legitimately concerning because it's one game. But I would say if you're making the argument against Kyle Pitts, the talent, like you could make it off of this most recent game where they have 40 dropbacks and he only earns five targets and he only has two catches. Like that's that's bad. That's a bad stat line. I mean, I mean, the first game, literally, like if they don't call Drake London on an illegal shift, he has more yards than any tight end in the first week. Like he, so. Yeah. Um, they threw 18 passes, right? It was the same thing as like last year where the targets per run was elite. The air yard share was elite. The weighted opportunity was elite. It was, you know, the, the janky stuff was these weird row precipitation rates on occasion. And especially just the low pass volume and the, and the low, um, efficiency from Mariota. And, you know, this year, first game looked like more of the same. Next game, not as much, right? Like he, it was, he had, they threw the ball, not a lot, but they played like a normal team. They yeah. played like an acceptable NFL team in the second week. And it, it just wasn't blowing through pits. I, I do think that if, if we get more games like that, more often than not, it will flow through pits. But it's tough, man. Like when, you, when you're in that situation, yeah, the tolerance for like, he just had a bad game is not really there because there's several times when, he's going to be unstartable through no fault of his own. So it's like almost every time that the Falcons drop back to pass 35 times, you're like, Pitts better be the absolute focal point because otherwise it just feels like such a missed opportunity. So yeah, I'm fine with it because of how I play Dynasty. I prioritize the tight end position and my level of conviction on his talent profile because of what I'm leaning on with his peripheral usage in conjunction with the prospect priors. But yeah, like for people that are just like, I am so sick of this guy and you can't make me keep rostering this guy at legitimately high value in dynasty when he never scores points like i i get it like i'm not going to be like you're an idiot for not wanting to roster this guy at massive value because i i 
I get what his trade value is on like keep trade cut, whatever. Like if you really do try to move Kyle Pitts, like I I don't actually I very rarely like try to move Kyle Pitts. I've moved yeah. him a couple times and, and I've actually never found it difficult. Like it's there usually is one Kyle Pitts truther in your league. Yeah. Um so anyway, all that being said, I prefer Kyle Pitts. Me personally, what I send Dalton can get for Kyle Pitts, yes. But it's like easier for me to just explain why I feel the way I do than to give other people advice because I, I like I totally get why people have want nothing to do with Kyle Pitts. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, Kyle Pitts, the way I play Dynasty, perfectly fits the mold of a player that I'm buying. Um, that being said, Dalton Kincaid is not a guy I'm looking to sell. So maybe the answer is just just buy Pitts with someone else and don't sell Kincaid. But I I don't know. I, I'm going to have a few offers of those one for one in my inbox. I just know it just because I have enough of patrons and Twitter followers in the league and they're going to make those offers to me and I'm going to be conflicted, but we'll see. I I actually did end up trading Kincaid for Mark Andrews share uh, earlier this week. I believe I had to throw in Josh Downs. That's a move I'm more confident making just because I know you have a good floor with Mark Andrews. You know, you're going to get production now. Um, I definitely wouldn't throw in a guy like Downs for Kyle Pitts right now uh, with Kincaid, just because that's not what the market would dictate at this point. Um, yeah. While we're on the subject of Mark Andrews, the last one I wanted to talk about is basically the battle for tight end two right now, you could call it. Uh, and that's Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. Uh, I don't think it's even close, uh, not to use that phrase, but when you look at the talent level, but TJ Hawkinson's usage, and that being said, I think Mark Andrews is more talented, but TJ Hawkins' usage has been absolutely incredible. In 12 games as a Viking, he's only been under six targets once, and that was in a game he only played half of in Week 18 last season when they had everything clinched. Uh, and he's only been under eight targets uh, two other times other than that half game. So it's hard to argue with that, especially a tight end where you're really struggling to get 50 yards a week. Hawkinson is good for five catches for 50 at a minimum every week. And that type of production. Well, he's good for five end. catches. He's been under 50 the vast majority of his games with the Vikings. That's fair. And that's important. He's, fair, I he's, don't he's good for the he's five. He's not good for the 50. Um, but in a, in, in a half tight end premium league, five catches is oh, seven yeah. and a half points. That's, that's oh, enough. No question. Yeah. No question. So what, what, Hawkinson or Andrews? It's, it's Andrews by a lot for me. And I mean, me Hawkinson's me like the reverse pits where it's like, I have no problem like explaining to myself why I feel the way about Hawkinson, but I also get why, like if you're the person getting bludgeoned by TJ Hawkinson and tight end premium leagues every week, because he has seven catches and that's 10 and a half tight end premium points before you even count the yards. Okay. Jerome Ford is not giving this job back. Holy shit. I'm about to watch it. I think I'm a few seconds. That's the best run of the entire season. Oh Jesus. The cutback. Oh, go. Deshaun Watson fake block. Oh wow, he's wow. gonna house this. Is Minka gonna catch him? Nope. Ah! Wow. Jesus. All right, I guess we got a new starter in Cleveland. Damn. Good for him. Good for him. Anyways, yes, I I very much agree with you. I think it's Mark Andrews, no doubt. I've just seen a lot of shift towards DJ Hawkinson, and oh, uh, he's down. Whatever, they'll give it to him in the very next play. Yeah, yeah, he'll score this. Yeah. Um, I understand the usage on Hawkinson's awesome, uh, yeah. but I have to assume that he's that they're not going to keep throwing to him when he's only getting you know five and a half yards per target. It, it's just 
maybe they will, and maybe I'll be wrong, and that'll change next season I mean, when the offense changes. But it's just he's just. I, but he's never he's never team. been efficient. He's he's never been an efficient player. No, it's it's he's. But they're throwing it so many times per game, and he is earning targets. So like, it's. I get it. Like, if you invest in TJ Hawkinson, oh my God, they took him off the field. He, he was like, what, he couldn't just stay out there? I think he's tired. I guess he's tired, but <laughs> Pierre Strong just got absolutely, that was not an impressive run. No, I, I don't think Pierre Strong's going to threaten this job. All right. Um, just, just touch push. Oh my uh, God. He just in there. Got you, demolished. You know he, like, no, no quarterback in the league would be more appreciative of the touch push than Deshaun Watson. So. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah. Anyways, TJ Hawkinson yards per target is under seven for his career, which is pathetic. Yeah. Um, Mark Andrews is, I believe, at like 8.8 .8, uh, just off right. the top of my head, something like that. So no comparison to the talents for me. Uh, this has been fun. Fun double screening with both football games tonight. Uh, remind everyone where they can find your work. Yeah, find it on think, uh, Thinking About Thinking, which is my substack, jacobsanderson.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Jacob Sanderson. Um, and yeah, I enjoy uh, the rest of these games that you'll have already watched. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the show. And yeah, I love everything that Mike's doing on. So uh, pleasure to be on here. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for being on again. Hopefully that is the last Pierre Strong Vulture that we get oh, this season. Um, Ridiculous. So all my listeners got some uh, got some fun stuff in the works. I've been uh, working on my HTML coding and got a got a website in the works that should hopefully uh, make finding all my content a lot easier. So excited to be coming out with that. Hopefully in the next month or so. Uh, keep tuning in to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. I'll have another episode for y'all later this week. Uh, for my patrons, got the weekly waiver wire column coming out tomorrow. My new Dynasty ranks coming out probably Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, we'll see if Jerome Ford can crack the top 10 at that point. Uh, hope everyone has a good rest of their Monday night and wins these matches.